What's going on, traders? How we doing? Welcome to the one and only SPACs attack. Yes, you made it. We got another great interview. We're going to get into a little battery talk. So stick around for that. Definitely going to have a great interview. We're going to talk some headlines. Some stocks are on the move like always. So smash the like button and let's get the SPACs attack started. What's going on, traders? Get access to actionable news and market research with all the information you need to invest smarter and profit faster. Start your free trial today at pro.benzinga.com. Yes, yes, I need to trademark that because at the end of the day, that's that's how I started up. What's going on, guys? How are we doing out there? Got Gabriel, Joseph in the house. Zoltan, the one and only. Got to give Zoltan a shout out because he's still working so hard to get us more and more interviews. So you guys shout out to Zoltan if you guys got a, a company you guys want on SPACs Attack. Let's go ahead and bring on the brains. Chris Ketchy. What's up, man? What's going on, brother? Yeah, how we doing on this Thursday? Yeah, not a bad day out there, right? For for the SPAC watch list, we we got a decent amount trading in the green today. Uh, nothing jumping out a ton, um, but, you know, just a, a pretty normal day out there. Yeah, hey, got to enjoy it when we have a normal day. It's better than a down day, right? I mean, I'll take it. I'll take it. I'm going to be looking at some stocks. They're making moves. I was able to sell some of my bag. Guess what? It's no longer a bag, Chris. It's in the green, baby. <laughs> it's in the green. So, uh, yep, hey, I'm okay with that one. Genie looking well, shooting on up today. Not bad. Passing 17. As long as it holds 17 now, I'll probably still be in this one. I'm looking to actually hold this one more longer term. Um, the big thing is, of course, I'm going to be looking to take some profit along the way and then hold some shares for a long-term gain. All right, Chris, let's do it like we always do it. Get into some headlines and like like you do it best, man. Just take me back. All right, guys. Yeah, so starting with headlines today, let, let's get the big story done and out of the way. So we have Nicola, one of the hottest SPACs of last year, NKLA, trading down today. The news out today, um, I saw uh, Tom Winter from NBC share on Twitter. So it is in that Trevor Milton, the founder of Nicola, has been charged by the U.S. Attorney's Office in connection with that prior investigation into allegations of fraud and for making false and misleading statements to investors. So those prosecutors say that when Milton and Nicola unveiled their tractor-trailer truck, it had to be plugged into the wall. The headlamps were activated by a remote by a staff member, and air had to be pumped in because there was a slow leak in the lines of the truck. And also prosecutors hitting on the video of Nicola, uh, where the truck was not actually working, had to be towed to the top of a hill, and then the brakes were released and it rolled downhill. Uh, this seems so much worse than we originally uh, thought, right? So before it was, you know, the jokes about the truck rolling downhill. Now we've got, you know, some other stuff to go along with it. Those uh, misleading statements by Milton. Um, you know, he also said that the Badger, the Nicola Badger, the electric pickup truck, would be built with its own parts and frames. Uh, that turned out to be false, too. They were actually using Ford F-150 trucks, 
um, for the frame on the prototype vehicles. Uh, so it's important to note that uh, Nikola Milton stepped down, right? He's no longer the CEO of Nikola. However, uh, as of April, he did still own 20% of the company, uh, and that was after selling 3.5 million uh, shares. Also have to note that Nikola shareholders rejected a proposal earlier this year that would have seen company executives, including a, a pay package for Milton, um, get higher pay. So, you know, this company just seems to have a lot of red flags, right? And they can't seem to get over the connection to Milton. And then earlier this year, the current executives also wanted, you know, higher, uh, a higher pay um, for not delivering on those promises to shareholders, shareholders rejecting that proposal, which I think sent a uh, statement um, to the company. But yeah, so Trevor Milton, um, you know, uh, big news today. Uh, and Nikola shares were down about 12%. Now it looks like we're down about 8%. Uh, everyone by now has heard my, my bearish take on uh, Nikola and how I'm still surprised that this DSPAC is trading over $10 a share. Let's move on from uh, Nikola to something more positive. We have DraftKings uh, announcing a partnership with Sports and Social, which is a upscale sports bar company. So this deal includes locations in Detroit and Nashville to start. So DraftKings is uh, in 14 states, more than any competitor on the market. Uh, also has 10 retail locations in the U.S. through partnerships. So Sports and Social has many locations located close to sports stadiums. That's one of their key things. Uh, Atlanta, Georgia, St. Louis, Missouri, Arlington, Texas, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and Washington, D.C. An existing Sports and Social Detroit location uh, was right at the entry to Little Caesars Arena, um, home of the Red Wings and the Pistons. That uh, location has been closed, so not sure where the new Detroit location will go. Um, this is similar to BetMGM, right, partnering with Buffalo Wild Wings. If you're going to have people in sports bars watching sports, what better target audience to have bet on sports? So I like this partnership with DraftKings. Uh, we had Bolero on yesterday, right, talking about sports betting inside bowling alleys. I mean, this is all about, you know, monetizing customers that are already in existing uh, locations. So uh, I like this deal from DraftKings, especially uh, launching in Detroit and Nashville, two big states. And we have ACIC, so uh, Atlas Crest, the company taking Archer Public. Uh, both companies announcing a change to the valuation. So valuation cut from $2.7 billion to $1.7 billion. Um, that's one of several SPACs that we've seen change the valuation this year. And uh, as I said yesterday, VICQ Rocket Lab having a, a launch scheduled with the window open today. That launch did take off this morning, so keep an eye out, VACQ. Genie, which Mitch just hit on in, in the start, price target raised from $29 to $31 by Goldman Sachs yesterday with a buy rating. Again, an, another stock to look at ahead of some of these bigger sports seasons. Then we have KCAC, so SunPower. Uh, their merging partner uh, announces a partnership with Wallbox for the integration of solar home electric vehicle charging. So uh, a nice partnership there. And we have ASTS, uh, AST 
Space Mobile announces the launch services agreement to deploy a 693 square foot phased array spacecraft that's going to help with their direct to cell phone connectivity testing. Uh, you know, that could be a big step in their plan of 5G from space. A uh, merger of SVAC was approved. We'll start trading as CYXT tomorrow. We have two vote dates set, RMGB, August 16th, and SB, August 20th. And then our two deals yesterday, SPAQ ending the day up 1.9%, and GMBT ending the day up 1.7%. So 2% moves from our two deals yesterday. One rumor last night, I saw GIW in talks with Nanosys, that rumor coming from Bloomberg. And our one deal today, this was a rather uh, large deal in terms of uh, valuation. We have TPGS, the SPAC, bringing uh, Vacasa public, a vacation rental management platform. So it values the company at $3.75 billion. Uh, so the company offers an end-to-end technology platform, optimizes income and care for property owners, uh, over 400 destinations. Uh, they have 100 or more channel partners, including Airbnb, Booking.com, and VRBO. Uh, over 30,000 vacation homes connected on their platform. Uh, 31% revenue growth rate they've already seen. Uh, and they see revenue growing to $757 million in 2021, $1 billion in 2022 in this year. They expect $1.6 billion in gross booking value and 5 million nights sold. Um, End-to-end technology platform and partnering with Airbnb, Booking, and VRBO makes me think only one thing here, that this could be the thing behind the thing for the vacation rental industry. Um, so that's what I've got, Mitch. Lots of headlines, that one deal, and man, that 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 uh, Nicola news I don't know where you want to jump in here. Nicola, DraftKings, that deal, anything else? Too much, too much to talk about there. You know, one thing I, I don't want to go ahead and, and go into pushing of anything, but uh, we, we, we'll, we'll try to leave that one out of it. You know, that is not what we want to see in the SPAC industry. So we're not, we'll, we won't go too deep into that. I mean, it's clear exactly what happened there was a misleading and this is why sometimes you always got to diversify you can't always put your eggs in one basket because they just might break um but definitely uh good news there on genie hey they're not the only one that have been putting a buy rating if you actually look at genie every single rating out there is a buy i will let you know that because that's what i pay attention to guys a lot of my fundamental look is going to be looking at analysts uh, research report and they're pointing to the upside the technicals are now pointing to the upside i'm looking at it and hoping that it comes to the upside but hey you guys know i've been in this one for a while i believe in the company and i think that as we get into the football season and as we get into their earnings you'll continue to see that price raise 
How about right. that? How about that DraftKings partnership, Mitch? That, that seems like that's a, exactly a, what I wanted to get into. That, that really. seems like a great thing, right? And, and I'm a little surprised that the sports betting companies it's taken this long to really attack that. I loved when BetMGM partnered with Buffalo Wild Wings, right? I used to go to B-dubs. You'd sit there for three, four hours. You'd watch a full football game. You'd buy some wings. You'd buy some drinks. And, and what better way if you had, you know, a targeted way for people to bet on sports while in those locations, offer some contests, some, you know, free fantasy games as well. So I like this move from DraftKings. It's going to be a little bit more on the upscale sports uh, bar side but they're also located really close to sports arenas, which I think is big in partnership deals. Yeah, I mean, I, I've honestly never been to a sport and social. I will say that. Uh, maybe it's just my location um, where I've been in the South or in Colorado. But one thing I will pay attention to is how they expand even further from this, because I think this idea can definitely keep going into different areas. Um, let's say even I think you could set up this at an airport. Why not? Right. I mean, in certain legal states, why not have a, a little bar? Uh, on in the airport terminals where you can go ahead and, and kind of promote DraftKings, right? When they go to state to state to visit that state, that's the first thing they see when they get out the plane. Hey, just ideas, right? We'll, we'll definitely pay attention to see how DraftKings continues to kind of evolve other than just a sports book and trying to bring in more viewers. And, and really, I mean, it's all about that customer acquisition, right? I mean, they're just trying to acquire more customers and figure out ways to do it other than just giving out promos, right? So, Yeah, and that's a good call out on the airports and the, the other places where they could put these. So I don't know that brand either, Mitch. Uh, you know, I, I did see, though, that they did have that Detroit location, but it closed last year during the pandemic. And from everything I've seen, it looks like it's not coming back. So my guess is that they're building a new DraftKings social sports branded uh, sports bar later uh, this year, hopefully. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting thing. I'll, I'll, I'll definitely pay attention to DraftKings. I can tell you right now that $50 is just standing out to me. Uh, it's so important now. If you can just hold 50 that's that that looks good to me. I mean, it's fought multiple times to get up through this level. Let it get up past that 50 and start holding 50. I mean, DKNG can really start moving. One of the things I would point out is a lot of people got in when they started really dipping down below it. You can see this big volume bar that we're now above. And so the volume profile there was around 48. Now that we're getting above that 48, as long as we can hold 50s, I think we'll start starting to attack uh, the highs in DKNG. All right, Chris, it's time to do what we do best and unlock some specs, right? Let's go ahead and unlock them. Let's do it. All right, guys, super excited. Another exclusive interview here on Specs Attack. Joining us on the show today, we have the SES Holdings President and COO, Rohit Makaria. Uh, that company going public via SPAC with Ivanhoe Capital Acquisition, ticker IVAN. Welcome to SPAC's Attack. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Mitch. I, I hope I said your name right. Was was I was I in the ballpark? I was impressed. Okay. In fact, I was okay. impressed. Hey. Is it is Rohit? Yeah, that's right. Perfect. Perfect. Awesome. I'm glad I nailed that one. So 
All right, let's go ahead. We're going to get into SES. Like always, guys, you guys can stay with us. I'll even put the presentation link in the chat for you guys if you guys want to go ahead and kind of be on the same page that we are. But I'll let Chris ask some of his questions first. And like always, smash that like, guys. All right, Rohit. So first thing we want to dive into here is why the decision for SES to go public via SPAC? And was a traditional IPO also considered by the company? Yeah, the no, we did not. We did not consider an IPO at this time. Um, but the SPAC was a good route. Um, and the, by the way, the reason you know with, with the IPO is that if you see our revenue projections, uh, we still are somewhat further out from actually generating re, you know a lot larger amount of revenue. Uh, SPAC, on the other hand, it felt like a really good way for us to go um, in the public markets for two reasons. Uh, one, we felt like we were ready, both from a technology perspective, uh, we have a lot of um, progress that we've made and we have validation from our car makers, automaker partners. We've also um, shared a lot of our information and data that is validated by third parties. So we know we've put information out there and with our partners that they they think we are that we are ready. We think we are ready in terms of actually going and and capturing this this electric vehicle market. And the second one is the electric vehicle market itself. It's a huge trend. It's 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 getting to be a uh, to be, uh, to be at a place where the growth on the e, in the EV market itself is taking off. And we feel like we're right at the right spot to go and and capture that growth at this time. Perfect. So one of the things that immediately jumps out, you know, with the SPAC deal and also prior to going public is some of the existing investors and the pipe investors in the SES merger. So we have General Motors, Hyundai, Geely Holding, Kia, SAIC Motor, um, LG, and many, many more. So can you talk a little bit about how some of these key investors um, help validate a company like SES before going public and as part of the public route. Yeah, absolutely. So one, we are super fortunate to have shareholders that have been supporting us for a long time. Some of them have been investors and shareholders of, of SES for a long time now. Uh, for example, with GM and SAIC Motors, they've been shareholders in SES since 2015. Uh, Hyundai came in more recently earlier this year, but we've been working with Hyundai for some time as well. SK joined um, our, you know, our shareholders as um, th that was back in 2018. So with all of these companies, um, what we have been doing more, just more broadly, Chris, is that we've been um, building an ecosystem around SES that is supportive. Um, we started out, we expanded into um, into battery cell makers like SK. And then we expanded yet further into equipment makers like Applied Materials. And then uh, also Tianchi Lithium, which is uh, one of the biggest lithium suppliers in the world. And, and we make lithium metal batteries. And so, so we, we have been building out this ecosystem from, from quite some time. Uh, and then in the pipe process, we got yet more validation. Um, we got, we had Geely, come in as a, a car maker as well. We also bought in Foxconn, which is um, yet another uh, 
equipment maker, battery maker that is that has big plans in the electric vehicle market. Uh, and then and then Ivanhoe itself. When you look at Ivanhoe's profile, Robert Friedland, he's founder chairman of Ivanhoe Mines, one of the biggest suppliers of nickel and copper. So all of this, all of this is to say that we have really worked hard and really frankly our, our progress speaks for itself, where all of these shareholders have been supporting us for a long time and and there are more coming. Uh, both through the pipe process as well as in private rounds recently to, to come and support us. More importantly, when you, when you consider what we have done with our partners, um, that is quite incredible. For example, with GM, we have been working with GM since, since their first investment in 2015. Uh, we announced a partnership earlier with GM this year, back in March. And then soon after, we also um, uh, created a partnership with Hyundai. And, and both of these partnerships are geared towards what we call in the battery and, and automotive industry parlance as a sample cell. So, so with both Hyundai and GM, we have announced partnerships where we are going to um, work together on developing this a sample cell, which means that this is the sort of cell that we will develop to commercialize in the 2025 timeframe. Awesome. So, you know, there's a lot to talk about the, this presentation. It's got a lot of the technology um, shown. Can you just give viewers, you know, a, a brief, uh, you know, lesson on what SES is all about and how it will create the first publicly traded hybrid lithium metal battery supplier that can manufacture at scale? Um, walk us through what that means and, and the technology behind the company. Sure thing. So at SES, what we have made is a hybrid lithium metal battery. The key is that we want to bring lithium metal batteries to market. Today, EVs are starting to take off. Almost all EVs have lithium ion batteries. And with lithium ion batteries, they have been excellent. I mean, till date, we've seen tremendous um, you know, uh, progress. We've seen a lot of EVs come on the road that all have lithium ion, but lithium ion has limitations. This lithium ion uses an anode, which has materials like graphite and silicon, which take up a lot of space and also have a lot of weight. When you replace that with lithium metal, what you end up doing is that you end up making the battery really compact and light. What does that mean? For a customer, what that means is that now you have a battery with lithium metal that instead of going, a car, say, going 300 miles on a single charge, now the same car can go up to 450 miles, maybe even more, depending on how you, how you build a vehicle. So because it's light, because it's compact, you can pack more battery in a vehicle, get better range. But that's half the story, or even, even less than half the story. The other thing that we have shown with our lithium metal, this hybrid approach, is that we can get high energy density, we can, we have demonstrated fast charging. For example, we have published data on a website, you can go to ses.ai or launch.ses.ai and check out all of the test data reports that we have published. Uh, and then frankly, this is kudos, to, you know, you guys were having a conversation earlier, this is kudos to Ivanhoe. When they did diligence on us, what we did was we took our cells and we send them to Ivanhoe, which then they send them to these two different third-party independent test houses. And they tested all of this data for us, which we published. So we, we get the high energy density. We get fa fast charging. We've demonstrated good 
durability and cycle life of our batteries, which, which means they're ready to be commercialized. And we've, uh, with lithium metal, you can also expect high energy density, which means you use less material, lower cost batteries, and, they, and these are safe. So we've designed these, these batteries where we use both the liquid electrolyte. So, so the reason we call these hybrid is because uh, solid state is sort of, uh, uh, you know, a lot of people that work in batteries, SPACs have heard of solid state batteries. And, and they're good for many different reasons. But then when you take a solid state battery, one of the key issues with solid state batteries is these solid state materials are new. They haven't really been demonstrated, uh, you know, manufacturing capability at scale. On our approach, what we take is that we take the best of the solid state world and, and we create a thin anode coating. And we take the lithium ion approach of liquid electrolyte. Again, this is a liquid electrolyte that we have developed, that we have a lot of IP there, uh, and we bring this together. And so we, we bring the, the solid state elements and the, and the liquid uh, electrolyte elements together. This is why we call it hybrid. But what that ends up doing for us is that it helps us get to scale. Why? Because with this approach, you use the manufacturing processes that have been used for a long time. You know, Now tens of gigawatt hours scale, 100 gigawatt hour scale battery with lithium ion. They all, the same manufacturing processes will be used when we make our batteries with lithium metal, not lithium ion. And the only difference in our manufacturing is going to be this lithium metal anode, which we have, again, strong patent protection and IP around, and we know we can scale it. So, so we want to bring a battery that works, that works under all conditions that an automaker requires, that a customer that the customer, uh, you know, a customer is going to drive the car, whether it's minus 30 degrees outside or it's 40 degrees outside. So this battery is going to work in the full range of, of all of these temperatures. We've shown data where the battery, you know, uh, the EV drivers especially, they've come to expect really good acceleration. We won't have the limitation that solid state batteries have around acceleration. So, so we've developed this battery that will work under all conditions for all customers and can be scaled up. Perfect. Yeah. Thanks for breaking down, you know, the technology behind that. Um, there's lots of battery technology, battery companies out there. So it's always exciting to see how companies differentiate themselves. Uh, I want to go a little bit back to the, the partnership. So, you know, as I said, uh, and you mentioned, there's lots of auto companies as investors in your company and, and part of the pipe. And we have, uh, partnerships with General Motors and, and Hyundai, uh, you know, announced. Are, are there other partnerships, um, you know, that have been announced? Are there ones that are in the works? Um, and when will we get more color on who SES is working with? Will that be through press releases from yourself and your company or from the auto companies themselves? Yeah, so we haven't announced any other partnerships besides GM and Hyundai for now. Um, Stay tuned, more to come. Um, and, and, and when that does happen, we will, we will work with our partners, our car makers, to, um, you know, to bring that out in, in, a, in a reasonable way. It, it could be ourselves, it could be the car makers. We, we'll figure that out uh, at that time. But the one thing I will say is that we have announced a GM and Hyundai partnership, but we are working with many automakers already in different stages of the development. Uh, Japanese automakers, European automakers, other Asian automakers. So, so we, have, uh, we have a lot of work that is already ongoing and, and stay tuned.
But but on the GM and Hyundai partnership, I just want to double click there a little bit more because when you look at battery companies, many battery companies have partnership with other car makers. People know that uh, you know Volkswagen has relationships with uh, uh, other battery companies. So does say Ford uh, has or BMW. What the relationship that we have with General Motors and and Hyundai is is quite different. We have signed the first the world's first A sample joint development agreement with General Motors. Soon after we signed the world's second A sample joint development agreement with Hyundai, and this A sample is critical because what that means is now that you've gotten to a point where you've, you, you've demonstrated a lot of technical milestones, which again, we've published all that data. You've demonstrated these technical milestones, which where you've earned the right to go and start to really consider commercialization in a, in a real way with your partners. So with General Motors and, and Hyundai, as we develop this A sample, all car makers, all, all battery makers have to go through a process in the automotive development where you go through A sample, B sample, C sample, and then to commercialization. And that's why our roadmap will, is, is set up so that we have these timelines in front of us really clearly from Hyundai and GM that we have to walk through to get to commercialization in 2025. But a lot of our work is, of course, we, we still continue to do a lot of work on, media, on, on making sure that technology continues to um, be uh, to continues to grow, continues to be validated. But a lot of our work right now is also involved in, in, in deep engineering, manufacturing, scale-up, building pre-production facilities, et cetera. Perfect. Uh, on that note, talking about the facilities. So uh, in the presentation, we, we see that SES has plans to build manufacturing facilities in Boston, Singapore, Shanghai, and Seoul. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, why these locations were picked and how it can really help SES connect, you know, as an international uh, partner to so many auto manufacturers? Yeah, absolutely. And that this is another uh, point of differentiation for SES, besides the fact that we have real partnerships and we've actually published our results. We are a global company. This is a, this is a company that was started by a founder and CEO, Ji Chao, out of MIT in Boston. And we built the Boston facility uh, back in 2016. Uh, then in 2019, we bought up the Shanghai facility online as well. So these are SES facilities that we've built ourselves where we do a lot of, in Boston, we do a lot of R&D. In Shanghai, we do a lot of manufacturing development work uh, and also supply chain. Because frankly, a lot of supply for batteries today comes from Asia. Uh, our, our headquarters in, is in Singapore right now. We don't have a facility there. Uh, but as we are working with GM, we've already talked about how we are building a pre-production facility with GM uh, outside of Boston. We will go through a similar route with Hyundai as well, and more than likely that, that, will, that would be in Seoul. So, so these, these facilities that we are building, um, we've already built the Boston-Shanghai facility for SES. We'll do a lot of work there. Uh, our own work, but then we also have a really clear strategy on how we work with car makers. Uh, we will we are building these pre-production facilities together, which will get us to a point where we can start to provide samples or or batteries that will go in actual cars. So these are batteries that are going to be 
not not small batteries, but these are going to be large batteries that car makers can take. They can test in their in their labs, but they can also uh, integrate them into their own module and pack design and put that in a vehicle and test. So, so the global strategies are actually quite deliberate. Uh, we we have a build where you sell strategy again because to, we want to make sure that we take full advantage of the supply chain and uh, and you know our our relationship and and geographical close um, you know uh, closeness with uh, our customers. Perfect. And then I want to hit on the the timeline a little bit. So we have this slide in the presentation that shows uh, 2022 pre-production and then really ramping up the production 2023, 2024 and, and building out those manufacturing facilities. There's that slide there. Uh, can you just walk us through a little bit, you know, what will be accomplished each year uh, moving forward? Yeah. And, and it's 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 all in the slides but but I can definitely explain it so like I said this year and next year we uh, this year we're already building pre-production facility outside of Boston uh, this year we will already uh, make some uh, some cells uh, and you know more more in timing to come there uh, more sort of detail granular timing but uh, by the end of 2022 we expect the a sample to get validated we'll move on to the B sample which means now, the, this A sample, this uh, this cell that we've built will start to get integrated into vehicles for the first time. And then uh, what you end up doing at that point is that you start to uh, test the battery as it works in the vehicle and optimize the, the battery integration with the vehicle itself. And you're also at the same time optimizing the, the vehicle performance, the battery performance uh, continuously. And then in 24, we are going to go to a C sample stage where now you're actually um, doing a lot of deep validation testing, and both on the vehicle end as well as the battery side. So we're working with our customers. Now you get into deep validation mode, uh, and then 25 would be commercialization. So along with that, what we will also do is that we will continue to scale up our facilities to support our customers. This is really important because we don't want to build so that someone can, can come in and buy what we sell. We want to build because somebody wants to buy it from us. And that's what we are doing today. We, we are building these pre-production facilities because our customer told us, please do so. And so that's the strategy going forward. As we go into the B sample, the C sample stage, we will build yet more facilities. You see there's a one gigawatt hour pilot here that we have in our plans. We'll build that and starting, and that will support all of the vehicle integration work with our different customers. And then by 2025, we will actually start our expansion one plant. And, and by the way, the, the, um, the money that we are raising with from the SPAC and what's on our balance sheet will get us majority of our way through our expansion one and, and, and way, way beyond commercialization. So, so that expansion one facility is going to be a joint venture, more than likely with one of our customers. We have yet to um, announce that decision yet. Um, but that's the scale of plant. The scale of plant is built so that we can serve our customers as their need grows along with ours. Perfect. So, you know, with, with that being said, uh, you know, SES is a, a pre-revenue, pre-production company. How do you think shareholders should, should value the company? What should they look forward to hearing from SES, you know, throughout that timeline uh, before production uh, really begins? Yeah. No, that's a good point. And, and um, 
for any pre-production company, shareholders should, you know, should be really should be really careful and look for milestones. And we will have milestones that we we have laid out in the presentation already, and and more to come. Um, but the the key milestone from our end is going to be really around uh, validation that we have uh, built the A sample cell, validation that our customers are testing our cells and the results are consistent with what we've published already and, and what our customers desire. And then also completion of the pre-production facilities and, and actually start the production of the pre-production facility as well. This will, this will all happen within 21 and 22 timeframe. And then beyond that, we will start to see real commercialization um, type activity with our customers as we go towards the sample B, the B sample and the C sample cell. And, and with that, uh, we will have more announcements where we can, we can talk about this progress uh, both in our earning calls and otherwise. Uh, but then also, also um, what you mentioned earlier, we are working with many other customers and, and stay tuned on, on that as well. Um, the other piece that we are doing is that we will, we will have, uh, you'll see us make progress as we build these facilities, as we start to make um, a large number of cells to support our customers. You'll also see that we actually have developed manufacturing capability where we can build these cells consistently. We can provide these cells consistently. And we also will have the supply chain in place to actually do so. So, Becoming a revenue-generating battery company is a hard job. It's a hard job. It's, it's tough. We haven't, you know, we, a lot of battery companies call themselves battery companies, including ourselves. But you have to win, you know, you actually have to be, you have to be selling batteries to be called a battery company. And, and we still have to go and earn that. But what we believe we have is a right to win. We have done all the work and we have lined up our customers. We are working really closely with our customers to meet their needs. So, so I'm sure we, we will have more to announce on our milestones, but these are some, some high-level milestones I can share now. With that being said, you know, the, the talk of milestones, uh, you know, more news to come. We, we did get, you know, some financial projections in the presentation. Uh, by 2028, 5% market share, $7 billion in revenue. Uh, you know, how much of that is from or is priced in from existing partnerships and how much of it is maybe uh, deals that are still in the works or deals that have not uh, materialized? Got it. So um, I'm not allowed to speak about our volumes from our, from our partners and customers today. We, we can't share that particular information. But what I can tell you is that these revenue projections are based on our deep engagement with automakers and our partnerships that are in the pipeline with with other automakers um, also when you look at the growth of the EV industry as a whole what we what we are building when you look at our expansion plans on building manufacturing this this capacity limited this revenue is not demand limited because the EV market is clearly taking off most car companies have already announced their plans. Most car companies already have announced that they will either phase out or completely stop selling ICE vehicles, the combustion gas vehicles, uh, not too far in the future. So we see the market take off, and we know that by working with the automakers. This revenue is a projection of our expansion plan. 
So to the extent that we can make meet our expansion plans around manufacturing, uh, we will we'll be able to hit these revenue targets. All right, I'm going to go ahead and jump in here. Time for my go here. All right, so first one up, let's go to slide 20. Um, and I mean, this is this is as big as a story as you can get. You know, one of the things I always like to focus on is the story, the sentiment uh, in the overall industry, not just for, let's say, your, your stock per se. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we're having this huge energy transition, you know, the clear focus of the United States here. And also, I mean, you get in supporting comments here from Tim Cook. W what are you seeing in this story and how do you see it continuing? Yeah. Um, this is a story for for our generation, uh, for the century. The, this transition to clean energy is is already happening. You know, ten years ago, this was something that everybody wanted to do, um, but now it's not a question mark. Now this is already happening. So when I look at just the scope of the opportunity, first of all, the scope of the challenge, and how important this is for us as as humanity for this planet. I mean. You know, that, that itself is just, just um, really sobering. And then with that, what, 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 when you start to put together all of the commitments that are coming from all over the world, from all the different countries, you can see that uh, almost every country, every state, every company, uh, every local government, uh, everyone is focused on making sure that we can make this transition. And what is, what is enabling this transition uh, when it comes to mobility? What is it? Batteries, electric got vehicles. To, got to. I, I mean, mean, at the end of the day, I mean, if they're going to be electric, right, they need to require a battery, right? So. And today, I mean, batteries everywhere already. I mean, you already use it in your phones, your, you know, phones, computers. Now, now think about what we want to do is serve the market that where, where anything moves. So electric vehicles is the first starting point. And by the way, just as a point of reference, electric vehicle batteries are big. You know, you sell a battery into electric vehicles, it's like selling batteries into 10,000 phones. And so, so that market is huge, it's taking off. And then there's everything else that moves. Uh, two, wheel, two wheelers are getting electrified. You got electric scooters. Um, you have electric uh, vehicle, uh, vertical takeoff and landing vehicles, EV tolls. That, that a lot of these car makers are also getting into and, and a lot of other companies as well. So, so when you look at the overall scope of the challenge and the overall scope of the commitment, including by the way, by, by the big financial firms, and when you look at the, the scope of the market, the kind of different applications this, this battery can get into, really from, from, from a story perspective, it doesn't get any better in terms of just addressing a problem that needs to be addressed with the solution that that is that is batteries today, I, I couldn't agree more with you. And I mean, and, and we're not only seeing in the United States, right? It's that global uh, kind of move really into that carbon emissions and really trying to change over it, something that's been around for hundreds of years. So, how do you see also not only in the United States but also playing in the global environment? Yeah, and and you see this on this chart that that you've put up, right? I mean. Um, most major countries in the world have have already plans to 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 make sure that they can they can they can uh, reduce their carbon footprint almost every country and and this also goes to show our partnerships at SES um, that's why when you look at 
all of the support that we've gotten from sh shareholders all this while, and also the kind of shareholders have, that have come into the pipe, they're, they're, they're from different parts of the world. We have partnerships in, in the United States. We have partnerships in China. We have partnerships in Korea. And we're developing elsewhere in the world as well, including Europe and Japan. So all of the major hubs where both this transition is already happening and the commitment's huge. We, and by the way, with the battery industry, where does most of the battery come from today? And where's the expertise and the talent? You see Panasonic is in Japan. You see South, uh, uh, in South Korea, you got SK, you got LG. They're both backers of ours. In, in China, you, got, you have CATL, and then you have car automakers like SAIC and Geely. These automakers are backers of us. And then, and then other, other um, backers like, like Foxconn in, you know, that in Asia that are also really want to get in the battery game, just like they built iPhones for, for Apple. They want to make batteries, and they want to make battery cars. We also have in the U.S., of course, GM. We also have applied materials, big equipment manufacturing firm that's also backing us. So we have backing of the globe for the, you know from from big companies around the globe because one, they believe in our company, they believe in what we're doing, but then also this is a global problem at a global scale. Definitely. I mean, we're, we could talk about the addressable market. We don't have to go into it, but 2020 just already 198 billion. I mean, you can just imagine as we continue moving on in a decade. Um, now, one thing I, I will point out is a big question of mine is where are the materials sourced for your batteries? Is it something that you guys are doing third party using an outside source? Do you guys source yourself or how does this work for your battery? Yeah, sure. That's a really important question because actually supply chain when it comes to batteries is going to be one of the challenges. And if you can get it right, it's going to be one of the enablers. Uh, so we we source our, our components and materials today from, from really all around the world, wherever it makes most sense. Um, or, or we, we source most of the components, but there are a couple of components that, that we will make ourselves. In fact, in our in our uh, battery manufacturing plant, for example, there's a key component that goes in the battery, which is the electrolyte, uh, which is one of the uh, secret sauce uh, of our batteries. We are going to make that electrolyte ourselves and supply it to our battery plants. So that is something that we have the IP for. We, we synthesize it today ourselves and we'll continue to do so. Um, there's some other components that go into battery uh, where we have some deep relationships with these suppliers already, and we are building, uh, we are deepening these relationships as we speak. And then there's the question of raw materials. That is a huge challenge. Battery uses a lot of raw materials that need to be mined, such as lithium, copper, nickel. These are all mater raw materials that are in high demand. You've seen, you've seen the prices fluctuate over time, and now they have started to go up. There's a general concern in the industry that, that these materials could be huge roadblocks if you don't uh, source them right, uh, source them from the right source, source them early enough. And this is, again, where our partnerships come in. Tianchi Lithium, they've been shareholders in our company for a long time. Ivanhoe Mines, um, you know, they, they mine copper, nickel sustainably. So we've been, we've been building our supply chain really, really carefully really carefully. We, we will source some materials with our relationships that we already have, and we are, we are going to make some ourselves. 
think that's a very important thing. I appreciate you also letting us know some that you're going to be going after yourself. Um, and I think we'll definitely have eyes on this because like you said, I think supply chains is going to be one of the massively affecting the bottom line. So we need to pay attention to these materials and we'll, we'll definitely be paying attention to how you guys still process through. All right, let's go ahead. Let's bring in Chris back. Let's go to some chat questions. We really like to go through our chat questions because at the end of the day, these are the investors really looking at you right now. So let's go ahead. Let's knock out some of these. Yeah, perfect. Well, we'll try to, you know, get to these over the next couple minutes. Appreciate your time, Rohit. Uh, so up first, we have a question from NCAL asking about that big T company out there we know as Tesla. Uh, is their technology competing with Tesla's battery? Is their battery increasing mileage? Can you just talk a little bit about the, the competition in batteries with Tesla? Yeah, sure. Um, listen, with, with Tesla, we, we don't necessarily see them as, as competitors. Um, some days, hopefully, we will sell batteries to Tesla, too. But Tesla, of course, has their own plans, and they, they use, you know, they use a sort of battery that, um, that they've been sourcing for a while and now making them for themselves. They have shown plan uh, plans around uh, increasing the battery performance with this 4680 cell. Uh, as well, which is, and, and, you know, they've been making announcements about progress on that battery. So we, we don't really see, see the Tesla necessarily as a competitor. What we see is that we are also creating batteries, albeit in a different approach. Um, and there are many automakers who want to, who want to use this battery. As you can see, you know, we have, we have these partner shareholders for a reason. Uh, and then secondly, we are working in lithium metal. Uh, Tesla has also talked about working on lithium metal. They have some work um, uh, with, with experts in that field. Um, they're, they're definitely looking at lithium metal themselves. But everyone in the battery industry understands this. And there's, this is the one piece that um, everyone in the battery industry can agree upon, which, which is unusual, that the lithium metal is the end game. You can't get lighter than lithium metal. You know, it's, it's the third lightest element on, on Earth. Um, it's the lightest metal on Earth. And so when you can make lithium metal work, you can make a battery that is going to be the lightest, smallest. And because you make it light and small, you're using less material, you can make it cheap. And so, so we see the world headed towards lithium metal irrespective. We think we can, we wanna, we think we can be the first ones to get there. Perfect. And then a, a great question here from uh, Quebec in the chat. Uh, do you expect your IP, your intellectual property, to generate a source of revenue? Yeah, so so right now our, our go-to-market and business model is that we are going to build our own cells and sell them. So uh, so that's our, our, our go-to-market strategy. Optionistically, if something comes up with, with one of our partners that makes sense to license our IP and tech, totally open to it. We are completely open. Uh, we will create more partnerships as we go along. So, so you know, our IP is is something that is just so valuable to us. We will we will use it prudently, and and license it prudently if we have to. But right now, the go to market strategy is that we are going to build these manufacturing facilities and sell batteries. Perfect. And then uh, to to end on uh, another question here from Quebec, I think this is a good one. You know, to ask uh, someone like yourself who who leads a company day to day. 
what is the biggest challenge ahead of production? Um, just walk us through a little bit. You know, what are some of the challenges that uh, SES faces to get to these milestones? Yeah, yeah, it's it's a really good question, and and really, the the key challenge is to get to production. It is it is it is to do just that, because at the end of the day, SES. Um, has been a technology company for quite some time. We are very much transitioning into being a manufacturing company. This transition is going to take some time. This transition is going to take effort. And this transition is going to um, come with new learnings. So so a lot of our focus, that's why, is around um, taking our technology that is proven, but now scaling it up. So, so a lot of our work is in the engineering and, and manufacturing and production uh, arena. And that's the piece that we have to, we have to um, work on to meet a lot of our milestones and, and do it right. But, but we're not going at it alone. See, that's, that's really important to recognize because as a technology company, if you want to become a pr- production company all by yourself, that is really hard to do. But if you can select the right partners who've done it before and come alongside with you, and that's why Expansion One is a joint venture, you can leverage their learning um, to go to market. So that's, that's, that's really the challenge in front of us, both as in terms of technology and, and building our team out. Perfect. Yeah, appreciate your honesty there, that transparency. You know, as someone leading a, a company to get to those important milestones, That's going to do it for today's interview. So for everyone tuning in again, joining us on SPACs Attack, we have the president and COO of SES Holdings, Rohit Makaria. That company going public with Ivanhoe Capital Acquisition, ticker IVAN. Rohit, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule, joining us on the show today. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Mitch. Happy to be here. Thanks a bunch. Thank you. All right, there you guys have it. Another exclusive interview on SPAC's attack. And one thing I definitely would say is I think we had some great questions there. We, we, we talked about the sourcing, talked about the timeline. And I also liked how one thing that he focused on was, yes, there's a reason why I went to SPACs is because at the end of the day, this is how I can give my best vision of what I see the company becoming in the next couple of years. Yeah, you know, definitely. And and Mitch, you know, he, he didn't back down, right? This is a company that, that's pre-production, pre-revenue. They, they have a timeline in place and, and you know, they're going to stick to that. They're going to hit milestones along the way. I, I loved his honesty, right, of why shareholders should invest in the company, how they should, you know, look forward to those milestones, that timeline. And as he said, you know, they're one of the few battery companies out there that has shown off their technology before production. Um, You know, we have a lot of other battery companies out there that have some great promises, right, of what their technology will bring. But SES has actually demonstrated it, you know, publicly, which I think could set them apart. And then also, Mitch, I mean, look at that list of investors when you already have GM, Kia, Hyundai, Geely. um, You know, they've got partnerships. And as he said, more to come. So I I think we're going to hear more about how they're partnering with some of the largest auto companies uh, in in the world. So, again, a couple of years away. But this is one where, you know, maybe it deserves a spot on that watch list because 2025, if they hit on everything, uh, could be a good one. 
Yeah, you know, one thing I always say is that at the end of the day, you want baskets, baskets, guys. I'm going to say it again. It can't be that just one person that you're going to be getting every single one of these right. And so what I always recommend is look at the basket of battery makers. Maybe you have them all. Look at the basket of charge charging infrastructure stocks. Maybe you have them all. At the end of the day, I think if you look into the future, you will see some of these companies become winners because of the macro trends that we're in. It's not necessarily even just the companies themselves. It's also the trends that we're going into. So what I would recommend is you look at these as baskets and you don't look at these as specific companies right now because you're trying to go ahead and just pick a winner versus trying to pick an industry as the winner. Yeah, definitely. Well, Mitch, that, that was a longer interview today. I think it was a good one, right, to hear the technology, but it looks like it's noon. Um, so that's going to do it. Uh, one last look at the watch list there. I, I know when I looked, Nicola was down about 8%. And yeah, we have wheels up, one of the top movers today. Um, but what else MP do you see materials. jumping out there? MP Materials. We were just talking about materials mm -hmm. for batteries, right? What better connection then MP Materials being up 6% today. That, that's a nice move. Chris, we, we gave this stock back when it was at 28. Now it's up there to 38. A lot of people were trying to down this company when they did their offering. But as you can see, it's coming around and definitely coming back. MP there, good day. Latch also pushing on up there, had pulled back, but now pushing back. SoFi pushing up. We'll see if it holds 15 Proterra finally bouncing a little bit, finding a little bit of a bounce after a really bad move there from about above 16 all the way down towards 11. Could come back down towards 10, so just be careful with that one. Playboy starting to bounce up a little bit. Not the biggest move, so no overreaction there. We'll keep an eye on that. Bfly still continuing to move on up, um, really holding that kind of 11 as support right now. We'll see if that kind of continues moving. Fisker making a move, also starting to bounce back. Not a bad one to take a look at. And, of course, we've been talking about Outlet. We'll see if that one continues. But like always, guys, we'll be here on the SPACs attack, guys, getting at it and, and, and battling like you guys are out there. Uh, I know Chris and I both have investments in SPACs, and, and we'll, we'll be battling just like you guys. So stay with us. Hit the share button. Hit the subscribe, that like, and we'll see you next time on the SPACs attack guys see you guys definitely like always boom baby ah! Ah!